Be still and know uh, Psalm 46. Very beautiful. If you'll have your Bibles, turn to page, uh, actually turn to chapter 30 of Isaiah. I'm not sure what page number it is. Um, 590 in your pew Bible. If you're using your pew Bible, that's the page number. Isaiah chapter 30, we're going to cover 30 and 31, and I'm just going to point out some things for us today that I hope will help us as we seek the Lord in all things. Last week, Rusty highlighted uh, chapter 29, verses 13 through 16, and the key issue being Judah's half-heartedness toward God. I want to read verse 13 again. It states that this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are from far from me. As we'll see, this spills over into the practical outworking in chapters 30 and 31. What's going on is, is Israel's this small land bridge in the Middle East and above them is Assyria, this large empire that is looming uh, in their lives Earlier, um, Hezekiah had sought to make an alliance with Assyria. Now they've heard word that Assyria is going to come and take over. And so they are seeking an alliance with the large empire to the south, which is Egypt. And so that's what's going on here, is that Israel, in fact Judah uh, proper, is seeking help, seeking security from other nations. Uh, The nation of Judah had forgotten that God is their help that God is their refuge and their strength, and so they're turning in other ways to other people. But we have to get down to ourselves as well. It's not just Israel or Judah that is, has misplaced trust. I want to ask this morning before we dive into the text, where is your trust placed, really? When an area of your life, or maybe every area of your life, seems to be falling apart, what is your reaction? Where or to whom Do you turn for help? Let's read together. I'm not going to read all the both chapters, but we'll read uh, chapter 30 through verse 7 and then 31 through verse 3. And there's a lot in between that I urge you as you're with your families this afternoon or later in the week to read on your own. Chapter 30, 1 through 7. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt turn to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hanes, Everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle in the beast of the Negev, through a land of trouble and anguish, from where comes the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent. They carry their riches on backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who sits still. Now over to 31, verses 1 through 3. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, 
who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, you've challenged me this week and you continue to challenge my soul. I pray that you would challenge us all through your word so that we may be healed and renewed, so that our faith may be strengthened, even though you may need to tear down idols within us. Oh, God, come through your Holy Spirit and teach us. Be our teacher who is behind us, telling us where to go, giving us aid and direction. Oh, help our great Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, descend on us and bring new life as you did in the new creation. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus, our only hope. And all God's people say, Amen. Years ago, while I was a college minister in Montgomery with Campus Outreach, one of the things we would do is take um, guys, in particular, uh, hiking. We love to go hiking. My, my buddy and I, uh, Paul Rogers, uh, was a good friend of mine. He was on staff with me. And we would take them up to North Carolina to a place called Little Table Rock. And uh, love that place. It's a, it's a place where you can do a lot of hiking, a lot of different things. But one of the things we love to do is we would repel. Raise your hand if you've ever repelled off of a mountain cliff. Okay, I've got some in here that have done that. We would, uh, we would repel, and so what you do to repel is you, is you get on a harness, and it's got carabiners and clips, and then you have a rope, and then you have a clip that's anchored in the rock. And so I'll never forget the first time uh, I went rappelling with my friend Paul. You get it on, I'm, I'm hooked up, I'm ready to go, and I'm backing to the edge of the cliff. Now, the hardest thing, if you've ever been rappelling, the hardest thing to do is what? You've got to lean back. You've got to trust the rope and trust the anchor in the rock. And I, I never forget my friend Paul. Um, it's okay, you've got to get parallel. Parallel with the ground, that means. Just, just lean back, and I'm thinking, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not leaning back. And I saw it person after person. But once you leaned back and got parallel, and you realized, oh, I'm anchored in. And then you went down the first time, guess what? You climbed back up the mountain and you went again and again. And we would do it all day long. And actually, we'd have guys that would do Aussie style and go face forward, you know, with the break. They got so brave and trusting the anchor in the rock. Our lives are a lot like that. We have an anchor, we have a rock, we have a harness. It's God Himself. But oftentimes, we have other strategies. We have other anchors that, don't, that are not sufficient. We have other ropes that we trust in that are not sufficient, and they fail us, and we are disappointed, and our souls ache within us. Storms hit our lives, and we have many strategies other than God at maintaining control, scheming to get control and harmony all around us, and all the while, our souls are ridden with anxiety and stress and fear that is deep-seated and deep-rooted. 
We scrape and claw for avenues of deliverance on our own strength. And we miss the true rock of deliverance who is the Lord. I want to encourage you today, God's calling you to unequivocal trust. Unequivocal trust in Him alone. And that is where you get peace. He's calling us all, that's the main point, to unequivocal trust. Even as our choir sang, even though the mountains be removed in the heart of the sea, that picture of stability, if it were all into the ocean, which is a symbol of chaos, God is our refuge and our strength, is what that psalm says. We're going to work through the passage uh, today with two main points in the form of questions. So here's the first one. What is the nature of our misplaced trust? Okay, what's the nature of our misplaced trust? We're going to see Judah, and then we're going to work down to ours. Secondly, how do we reorder our trust to be in God alone? So what's our misplaced trust, and then how do we reorder our hearts to be trusting in God alone? Let's dive in. Simply put, here in this passage, Judah is quaking because of the threat of Assyria. So they're going to go down and make an alliance with Egypt, this superpower to the south. It's ironic here, as one commentator noted, that this is a reversal of a redemption for Israel. Remember, who were they delivered from way back, generations before? Egypt. And who now are they going back to for deliverance? Egypt. No, God says, no, not that way. Did you notice the key words throughout our passage? And I encourage you, if you, if you like to sketch in your Bible, underline, uh, circle. Key words here in this, these two chapters are refuge and protection in verses 2 and 3. Help in verses 5 and 7. Trust and rely in verse 12. Rely and trust in 31 verse 1. This is the main issue. Where is the trust of Judah? Who are they relying on? This interchange of the words rely and trust in the Hebrew give the connotation of leaning heavily on something or someone for support. It could be used in context of leaning on a pillar, something that's stable and strength that will provide stability and rescue in times of storm. It is a heart orientation that seeks to be anchored in security. It's not wrong to want security. We all want security because we're finite. We need it. We need security. That's a good thing. But what we need to analyze is how we go about maintaining that or getting that security. So Judah is essentially trusting in what they can see with their physical eyes rather than trusting in the God whom they cannot see. Verse 2 is clear that they're trusting in Pharaoh and the power of Egypt. And in verse 16, the swiftness of their own horses. And in 31.1, the chariots and horsemen who seem to be strong to deliver. Egypt was a country full of horses and chariots. They were mighty in power. And they thought, we will go there and get our deliverance. What's the root problem here? Look at verses 9 and 12. I'm going to read that together. 9 through 12, chapter 30. For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. And that's the real threat here. Who say to the seers, or the prophets, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. 
Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, this iniquity will be to you like a breach in the wall. It will fall. It's not a stable wall, God says. So what's the root problem? Judah has turned away from the word of God and even despised the word of God, even to the point of telling their own prophets, here, tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. Agree with our lifestyle. Agree with our sin. Agree with our alliances. Tell us. Tell us what's good for us. We want you to agree with us. Whereas God says that's wicked. It's not right. And it actually will lead to no security, which is a wall that is tumbling down and falling. Listen, when the pure and undefiled word of God does not hold primary place in your life, you soon will find yourself in the wasteland of anxiety, worry, fear, cynicism, nihilism, unbelief, and ultimately idolatry like Judah, turning to idols which are no gods and have no power in and of themselves. As commentator E.J. Young states, sin is cumulative. One sin leads to another. Sin is cumulative. One leads to another. Not only that, Judah didn't even consult God. Did you see that? Meaning they didn't pray and ask for direction. Uh, This is in verse 2 of chapter 30 and verse 1 of 31. God says, they didn't even consult me. They just went on down and did what they thought was best. You ever done that before? I have. I've been challenged by the Spirit of God this week to repent of my own unbelief, my own lack of prayer, and myriads of things in my life. So what about us? What are ways that you do not really trust God? What are your chariots and horses in your life? Well, I'm going to highlight three. Uh, These are heavy hitters in our culture. Money, approval, and material possessions. Just a few questions, just to flesh this out for you to ponder. Before I get to those questions, it's been long established that in Jesus' earthly ministry, he talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. Why? Because we are all prone throughout ages of history to lean on money as our pillar rather than on God. Just a few questions. When your bank account goes under your expected balance, does your heart quake? Are you currently embezzling money at your job or in your business? Do you lie on reporting your income for taxes? Do you tithe 10% to your church? You may say, oh gosh, don't go there. Listen, those are forms of clutching control. Those are schemes at which you are not really free. You are serving something else other than God to be your provision, to be your wall, your protection, your security. Those are just, we could go through myriads of questions. See, often we look down on the poor for stealing, and yet we we hide it better through white-collar crimes of not reporting or embezzling or laundering money. We need to start here with the house of God. Where are we in our disposition toward money? Approval. 
is our second big one. When people disagree with you or criticize you, are you prone to fall into a hole of despair? Do you despair of life itself when you receive criticism? Or, or you don't get the approval that you want? When you post something on social media, are you seeking to find life in the likes, reposts, and comments you receive? Why do you do what you do? Is it for the applause of others? When you fail at something, are you demoralized? All these things point to you're depending on yourself. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to make a life for yourself in and of yourself. And God wants to free you and say, no, look to me. Look to him who will make your life. Third, material possessions. Do you look to the next gadget, car, or house so that it can alleviate the ache in your soul? Are you seeking to keep up with the Joneses so that you can make your life amount to something? What are you coveting? Why do you covet? You see, these are subtle things that we may not recognize in our lives, that we look to these things for deliverance, some sort of peace in our souls, and we get to that point and realize, oh, I just leaned my ladder against the wrong wall. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't actually fill up the ache in my soul. It doesn't actually get me to where I want to get. Are those things good things? Yes. These, these, are, these are good things to have a good name to have money to eat with, to have possessions. God gives us those things, but what's wrong is when we elevate good things to an ultimate thing. We could work through a series of questions like this, but what happens to us when we get these things that we think will provide security or deliverance? We just seek for another thing. We just look for another rung in the ladder to step on. And we miss the peace and the joy, and all the fruit of the Spirit that the Lord offers to us. What do we get? Well, when we get these things that we think can deliver us, we get the same thing Judah would get. Look at verses 3 through 5. Shame, humiliation, and disgrace. Verse 6, a wilderness. And then being the prey of darkness in verses 13 through 14. Actually, God says, hey, you want to get on your swift horses and run? Guess what? You're going to be prey. They're going to run you down. You're not going to be satisfied. Your effort to get security on your own strength is like a collapsing wall to a besieged city. Verses 13 and 14. Why? Why is this? Because Egypt's help is worthless. Verse 7. And look over to verse 12. It's actually oppressive and perverse. That help is worthless. It's oppressive and perverse because you're on a hamster wheel trying to figure out who's, where can I get help? Where can I get help? And all the while, you're turning and churning in your soul. And there is no peace when your ultimate desire is peace. Look at verse 31, or chapter 31, verse 3. The Egyptians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. And what Isaiah was reminding Judah of is, look, look to the eternal God who is spirit, who is powerful, who has created this whole world and holds it all together. Don't look to chariots and horses. Look to him. 
Jeremiah 17.5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Here's the point today. This is the summary of our first point. When you place your ultimate trust in anything other than Almighty God, whatever it is, you will be severely, severely disappointed. So moving to our second point, how do we reorder our trust to be in God? How do, we, how do we reorder our hearts to do what Isaiah is challenging Judah not to do? And now he's going to challenge them to look up. Look at verse 15. Chapter 30, verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. This word returning can also be translated repenting, which means to change course 180 degrees. It's a distrusting of your own heart. It's an analyzing in your own heart and turning away from your disposition to grab and clutch and claw and scheme and turn to the Lord. As Martin Luther stated in his first thesis of his 95, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4.17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Meaning, we need to analyze our souls every day and watch and guard, as Rusty said last week, our hearts, because we are prone to wonder, right? Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. But not only do we need to repent, we also need to rest in repentance and rest in the sovereign power of God to save. In other words, this clutching, this control, this scheming to maintain your life through your own strength, it doesn't give you rest. It will wear you out. Look at the last part of verse 15. I love this line. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Now that's flipped. That's upside down. We would think in our human minds, in strength and fighting and power and controlling and making alliances, that's our strength. But no, the gospel says in, in resting and waiting on God, that is your strength. After all, it is the Lord who said to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, the gospel is often upside down to our own thinking. Where we are weak, he is strong. Much like Israel standing at the Red Sea in Exodus 14, when the chariots of Egypt were bearing down on them, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. Wow. You only have to be silent and rest. So that's the first way to reorder our hearts is repentance and rest. Second, to reorder our trust in God is to cry out to Him in prayer about all things. This is opposite of what Judah did. We are to consult the Lord to seek the direction of the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. This is an oft-quoted passage, Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. All means all. In all your ways, both macro, micro, everything, be in prayer, crying out to God, Lord, help me in this conversation. Lord, help me with this decision financially. Lord, help me to love my children and to speak truth to them over and over again. Lord, help me to do my job well with excellence. Crying out to God. What do we get when we reorder our trust to be in God? This, it gets better. I mean, we've we worked from the hard part. Now we're working toward what God gives uh, to his people. We get a God who is eager to be our help. He is eager, eager to be our help. Look at verse 18. And this is, it blows my mind. Every time I run into God's grace in the midst of dark judgment, it is beautiful. It's that backdrop of a, a, a black cloth with a diamond where you can see all the beauty. Look at this, verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Guess what? God is eager to be gracious, merciful, and just to you and for your behalf. That's what he's done in Christ. He's been most merciful and just, as we've said earlier in our service. We get the Lord himself. We have a God who is full of grace, full of mercy, and full of justice. There is no God like him. Verse 19, he will surely be gracious, gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Wow, that should cause us to be like children. You know, I, I love my girls, and they are often, they know I keep gum in my truck. Uh, and they are often, um, Dad, can I get some gum? Can we have a piece of gum? And they know we, I keep mint, mint in my desk here. Dad, can we have a mint? No, let's wait. Two minutes later, Dad, can we have a mint? No, let's wait, baby. Two minutes later, Dad, I really want a mint. This is the view. This is the picture of prayer for us. Of not losing heart and seeking the heart of the Father over and over again for good things because He loves to give them. <coughs> Excuse me. God is gracious. This should bolster our faith, ramp up our prayers, and encourage our effort to cry out to God about all things in our lives. And as we said earlier, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We get God's help, yes, but there's more. Verses 20 and 21, I believe, is looking toward a Savior King and the new covenant that he will bring, this teacher. It says you will have a teacher. I believe implicitly pointing toward the Messiah King who will teach you and the, the view here, as you, you hear behind you the teaching, it, the imagery here is of a shepherd shepherding the sheep and directing them where to go. It's a beautiful image of what Christ does for his people in watching over us and directing us. Through the work of Christ, we have freedom from seeking refuge in false deliverers. 
He has delivered us once and for all. He has delivered us from all the powers of evil. He made a public spectacle of them, Colossians 2 says. And now we're free to cry out to our Heavenly Father and let Him know what we need. Not only that, He ever guides us by His Spirit. As we heard earlier, our spirit, the Holy Spirit is the teacher, the helper, the paraclete. The remainder of this chapter, chapter 30, gives the image of the new heavens and the new earth where God will bind up the brokenness of his people and heal their wounds, verse 26. God has and will forever protect his people from evil. What you, listen, what you need, God already knows it. Ask him for it. Your God is watching over you. He is eager, eager to show you grace. I'll point you to the last picture given in verse, or chapter 31, verses 4 through 5. He, it gives a picture of a lion protecting its prey. And it, it's, this, uh, it's comical of these little shepherd boys yelling at the lion, Hey, get away, get away, get away. And the lion's just like, This is God, a picture, picture of God over his people. You're not going to scare me away, God says. And then it gives another imagery of, of a mother bird hovering over her chicks to protect them. This is a beautiful picture of God hovering over your life, over our lives together, to protect, to provide, to strengthen, to empower, to encourage, to build up you and your family forever. I encourage you today, trust in Him. Turn to Him with all the areas of your life. This is the true freedom that God offers Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom that Christ has set us free. This, this in, at heart level, is part of it. It's moving our hearts toward him and away from idolatry. All these other strategies, whatever they are, they result in bondage and pain. And through Christ, God waits to be gracious to you. Actually, Christ said, seek first his kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things you worry about. All these things you scheme about, seek the Lord first. Today, God's calling you to unequivocal trust in His power to deliver you. After all, the words of Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, forgive me for ways that I have not trusted in you. Forgive us all. Cleanse us. Redirect us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Christ and his finished work. Thank you for the spirit who has been sent to lead and guide us and to help us. I pray for our body that we would not seek out other gods, but that we would trust in you and rely on you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.